when I was just learning to drive, uh, my, uh, my dad went and bought a, uh, uh, a little four-speed Honda Civic. And back in those days, that wasn't a very big car. And I'd never driven a stick shift before. And, and uh, I hate even telling you this story, but there's a point. So, uh, you know, I, I, there, we had a family friend, and I was, I was going to give her a ride somewhere, and she was about seven months pregnant. And, you know, when you're learning to drive a stick shift, uh, you probably did what I did, did and, and I hit, I, you know, you have to push the clutch all the way to the floor, but I missed the clutch and hit the brake all the way to the floor <laughs> with this poor seven-month seven pregnant lady in my car. We all survived it. The baby survived it. Everybody was okay. It wasn't like tragedy, but, you know, you know, when you're, and, and you know, it's, when you're young at driving, it takes a minute to get your bearings. Like, what just happened? Why did the car stop? Well, yeah, human error. <laughs> you don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read to you out of Job 38. We don't go to Job very often. God uh, talked to Job right at the end of the book, and, in, and he continues talking through several chapters. But in Job 38, uh, verse 8, God had said to Job, you know, okay, man of wisdom, stand up like a man, let's talk, you know. And God said, who kept this? Nah, he wasn't mean about it, you understand. He said, who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. You know, God spoke to the waves and said, thus far and no farther. But some of us have uh, told God thus far and no farther, and we put a limit on him. Recently, the Lord showed me an area in my life that I had not submitted to him. And I'm like, well, Lord, you know, I, 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 we're good, aren't we? We're good. You know, everything, you talk to me all the time. Everything's, I love your word. You show me seven your word. But... You know, and, and as soon as I gave it to him, and I did, I was just like sitting right here with all of you. Pastor's talking. I'm like, Lord, I just give you this whole thing. And he didn't just suddenly go, okay, well, now it's time for you to straighten up, and we're going to do this and change this. fix. You know, none of that happened. No. He didn't ask me to do anything. But, but it's a heart thing. You know, uh, I, I, I grew up believing that God was just mad all the time. And if you grew up that way, you know, it's hard to get past that. You know, when, when you know, we, we hear about God wanting, calling to us, and I'm thinking, you know, when my mother, David Dean, you're like, <laughs> or it was really bad, David Dean White, you're like, what did I, well, I usually knew what I did, but uh, <laughs> y'all don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about, okay, you better stop. All right, but, but, he, but here's the deal. We may put the brakes on God. You know, but, but he hasn't done that. It, you can look here if you want. Revelation 3, starting with verse 7, in the middle of it, it says, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens the door that no one will shut. This is Jesus talking. And who shuts and no one opens says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. He gave you an open door to him. It's wide open. Genesis, or Genesis, Revelation 3. 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus talking again. Whoever opens the door, I'll come in. And 
and eat with you, and you can eat with me, and we'll just hang out. But, but see, we sometimes are like, whoa, slow down, God. But you know what? He wants to come in. He's not mad. He's not using your middle name. <laughs> he's, not, he's not using your middle name. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Jake will put this up on the, the screen. It says, uh, starting with verse 11, it says, Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. We are more than capable of doing that. You ever done that to anybody? You know, you're mad at somebody, they do something you don't like, and you're just like, mm, you know, I don't have any words for you right now. You know, and you maybe don't give them the utter, complete, silent treatment, but you don't have a whole lot to say to them, you know, because we can just reel it in just like any time. We can just reel that in. And, and according to what God said, he wouldn't have told us we needed to open the door if the door wasn't shut. You understand that? You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Y'all don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about because, you know, uh, I, I think that in, in, in Philippians, you might want to turn over here, Philippians chapter 2. Got to love the book of Philippians. Paul here kind of describes, he gives you a snapshot of the universe. This is the way the world of God functions, okay? Uh, because, because this is how it's going to be. You know, we can get so caught up in our day-to-day that we don't even stop and think about how important uh, the things of God are because they're going to last forever. And, you know, our world as we see it, not going to last forever. I had a friend in college, John, he'd always say, yeah, it's all going to burn. <laughs> okay, you know, the world, the world as it is is going to come to an end, but, but the things of God are forever. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 10, says, so at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And it's not because they're going to be forced to bow. They're just going to bow. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know, now would be in this, our, in this part of our life, it'd be a good time to, to treat him the way he, he truly is, you know? As you people uh, have, have uh, I assume, most if not all of you have received Jesus into your life, you know what I mean? I have done that. And, and as you have done that, you have made him your savior. But he, he wants to be Lord. He wants, uh, verse 12, So then, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, how much more in my absence, work out your salvation with trembling and fear. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Actually, that word his is not in there. It just means to work for your good. You know what? So, so as we walk this life out, okay, as we walk it out, uh, there's just things we face and have to deal with. That's just life, okay? We have to deal with stuff. You know, things happen. You know, people do stuff. People act in certain ways that we wouldn't have expected them to. But we're going to take a look. <clears throat> we're going to take a look at some examples in the Old Testament. The Bible says that those were put there for examples to us. Yeah, Paul wrote that in one of his letters. He goes, there's a reason they're there, not to skip over. I mean, I know people who never read the Old Testament. They never, ever read the Old Testament. And then there's people who only read the Old Testament, and they don't have a clue what the Christian life is about because, because the New Testament, 
The Gospels give us a picture of who Jesus is. Tony Cook was talking about these things last week. And, and the Gospels show us how to walk it out. Well, if you're not, uh, or not the Gospels, but the epistles. So if you're not paying attention to the New Testament, you're not going to understand how to walk with God. But if you just completely ignore the Old Testament, uh, you're going to miss some really good examples and some really bad examples of how to live life. So we're going to walk through some of those. I'm going to race through them. You can turn there if you want. Jake is going to try to keep up with me on the screen, all right? But in uh, Deuteronomy, I, did, I talked about this for, uh, when I was receiving an offering back. I think it was on a Wednesday, quite a, eh, you know, a few months ago maybe. But uh, we're going we're gonna to just run through this quickly. But in Deuteronomy chapter 11, God is talking to the Israelites. He has not brought them into the promised land yet. And he says, uh, somewhere uh, in the end of verse 9, he said, It's a land flowing with milk and honey, verse 11 of Deuteronomy 11, if I didn't say that. But the land that which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. So he's telling them about the land that he's bringing them into, right? Well, if, if you look at uh, Numbers chapter 32, and again, he'll put that up on the screen, uh, starting with verse 9, it says, Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had exceedingly large numbers of livestock, and when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, uh, and, and we need to talk about what that means. So God's bringing them into, we'll, we'll say this is the river. He's bringing them into the promised land. The land of Jazer and Gilead are on that side of the promised land and on that side of the river. You know, it'd be like, like you know, if you decided you wanted to live in Council Bluffs, but you stopped in Omaha. You didn't make it, okay? But if we keep reading there, it says... So when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed suitable for livestock, they asked Moses if they could just stay over there. They didn't go into the promises of God. They decided that this was good enough for them. And just if we keep reading in the Old Testament, we see that they were the first to fall away from serving God. They were the first to be conquered. And when they were conquered by Babylon, they never, ever returned to Israel. And the whereabouts of those three tribes are completely unknown today. Because they didn't follow the promise of God. God, God said, if you just come into this land, it's a perfect land, it's a beautiful land, it's exactly what you need, but they settled. I mean, that just, okay, I got three stories at least that I'm going to tell you. They break my heart. When I read about Saul, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, God, the people had asked for a king. God found a king. He stood head and shoulders above everybody else in the whole nation. He's a really, really tall guy. And, uh, and uh, he made Saul uh, the leader and, and then told Saul to go into battle. And in, in 1 Samuel 15, he said uh, in verse 3, God said, Now go and attack the Amalekites. And completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them. Kill everything. Kill everyone. Oxen, sheep, camels, and donkeys. He was real clear. 
You understand, have you ever had a boss that was very clear with you, gave you very specific instructions, and you didn't quite do exactly the way it was supposed to be done, and they came back and said, okay, I told you. I wanted A, B, C, D, and you didn't do that. All right, you're like, yes, sir, I will correct that now. So anyway, so, so Saul did this. He went out to battle, and um, if we skip down to verse 13 uh, of 1 Samuel 15, the Samuel, the prophet, the Lord sent him and said, well, actually, the Lord talked to Samuel and said, I am so disappointed that I made Saul king. Go talk to him. So Samuel came to Saul, and, it, and uh, Saul said, verse 13, may the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. How many of you know when you didn't do what you knew to do, that you knew you didn't do it, but you still wanted it to look like you did it? So... Y'all look at me. Yeah, just, you know. Verse 14, Samuel replied, yeah, well, yeah, I did carry out the Lord's instruction. Samuel replied, then what is the sound of sheep, goats, and cattle that I hear? So skipping down to verse 20, Saul is like, but I did obey the Lord. Yes, nice. Try to justify yourself. Try to argue. That's very nice. You know, I went on the mission the Lord gave me. I brought back King Agag of Amalek. I brought back, what? And completely destroyed the Amalekites. Obviously, you didn't. You just said you didn't. You brought back the king. The troops, the troops, I love this. The troops took the sheep, the goat, and the cattle from the plunder. The best of what was set apart for destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. <laughs> so I'm going to disobey. I'm going to blame everybody but me. And I'm going to... Mm, Verse 22, then Samuel said, does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and defiance. See, God called a spade a spade. Rebellion and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king, notice it doesn't say he has rejected you, period. Did you see that? It says he's rejected you as king. Well, he couldn't be king. God had to replace him because he wouldn't obey. And there's other, it isn't the first time or the last time he didn't obey, you understand? That was his mode. I have a friend, I'll quote him. He said that, that money, power, and position change people. Well, if you're not very, very careful, money, power, and position will change you. But that's what happened to Saul. And uh, he cared more about the opinions of others than he cared about the opinion of God. Wow, there's a pitfall. There's a ditch you don't want to fall into. All right, one more. I won't torture you all day with bad stories, okay? I promise you just bear with me. We'll get to happier stuff, okay? Uh, Solomon. For a wise man, he was pretty stupid. I have to be honest with you. You know, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 10, um, it talks about all the good things that Samuel did. You know, the weight of the gold that he brought in in one year was 666 talents. I have no idea what that is, but I think it's a whole lot. And, uh, you know, he made these shields and he did all these things and he built the temple. And, 
And it's verse 18, moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with refined gold. There were six steps to the throne with a round top to the throne at the rear and arms on each side and two lions standing beside the arms and 12 lions standing on the six steps on the one side and on the other. Nothing like it had ever been made. His drinking vessels were gold and all the vessels of the house were pure gold. None of it was silver, for silver was not considered valuable in the days of Solomon. And it goes on and on about how they brought in gold and weapons and garments and horses and apes and spices and all the things that he did and how he looked so very, very good. And officially, he looked really wonderful. And then we go to 1 Kings chapter 11. I can, I can hardly read this in the Bible. It breaks my heart. King Solomon, however, starting with verse 1, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. These were from the nations which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because surely they will turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. <clears throat> As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart from, to other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of his father David had been. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely. On the hill, verse 7, on the hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Moloch, the detestable god of the Ammonites. And he did the same for all of his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. And look what it says in verse 9. This just blows my mind again. Now the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. You know, we're a very convenience-based society. We get mad if the drive-thru isn't fast. Uh, and, I mean, how could they take this long? I've been here five minutes. Okay, yes, yes. We want everything now, now, now. And we want revelation from the word. I mean, there's people, okay, and then uh, bless their hearts, but they travel from church to church, from meeting to meeting, because they want a new word. They want a revelation from God. You know what? You're not doing all the stuff that he already told you, probably, so I don't know what you're looking for something new for. <laughs> Did I say that with my outside voice? Probably shouldn't have. But uh, you, know, you know what I'm saying? You know what I mean. You know, you can't, you're, if you can't settle down in a church and, and actually hear the word, you're, you're just floating from high to high to high to high, and, and, and you're, you're getting fluff and fluff and fluff and fluff, and I know people like that. They won't settle down. They won't slow down. They won't stop. That doesn't mean, I'm not saying everybody belongs in Faith Family Church, but I can tell you this, everybody belongs in a church, and everybody needs to stick it out, because, you know, if, 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 if I, <laughs> somebody... Somebody, somebody came to me and was telling me how they got offended by somebody. They didn't leave or anything. They were just mad. Somebody had said something to them. I said, okay, 
I could get offended every day if I wanted to. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I couldn't care less that you got offended. Get over your bad self and move on, you know? It's like, what? I'm serious. You know what? But, but, but here we have Solomon who, who just, okay, I'll just build you an idol temple and I'll build you an idol. Solomon. That blows my mind. And God's, and, and he's like, yeah, who, who God had appeared to twice. I mean, twice, Solomon. Twice. Okay, hello. You know, sometimes we just need to back it up. And, and you know, there, there, there's, there's a verse, and I didn't put it in my notes, and now I, I don't think I can quote it. But, it. but it talks about how we should always be talking about what it is that God has done. Because you know what? You need, you know, somebody, somebody came, and, and uh, uh, they might be here. I won't say who it was, but they had a, they're a college student. They had to do an interview for college. And, you know, they were asking me questions about how I became a pastor and how I got here. And you know how much joy that brought me? Just recalling what it was that God had done in my life. You know, he brought me here. He did this. He showed me this. You know, I saw this in the Word. He spoke this, you know. You know what I mean? I mean, we can get excited about that, but we can also just forget about it. That's why God said we should be talking about it. I think it's... Uh, Philemon, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, I should have put it in my notes. I'll have to find it for second service. But the point is that, that sometimes we just need to open up our mouths and remind ourselves what it is that God's done for us so that we don't do something incredibly stupid. I have no words for this. All right. We'll, we'll, we're done with our bad stories. We're going to move on to something really good, okay? So, so one guy, Jake, can you put that chart up for me? One guy made this huge difference in, in, in Judah, right? So we have this chart of the kings, all right? So, so what you don't see on there is Rehoboam is the very top. Can you read that? Is it too small? Okay. All right. If you can't, just ask the person next to you what it says, okay? So Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, okay? And uh, so notice over there to the right about, it says his name, one, two, three, four... Four columns over. Good guy or bad guy? Yeah, bad. Not a good guy. Didn't follow the Lord just like his dad at the end of his life. I mean, Solomon followed God with all of his heart at first. Dumb. All right, so Re Rehoboam was bad. Abijam, bad. Asa, Je Jehoshaphat, we know him. Good, good. Jehoram, bad. Ahaziah, bad. Athaliah, very bad. Joash, good. Amaziah, Azariah, Jotham, and they, they repeated names a lot, just like the kings and queens of England. Don't, don't worry about that part. Um, then Ahaz, again, bad. Hezekiah, we know he was good. Hezekiah, good. Manasseh, very, very bad. He was the worst of all of them, probably. Ammon, bad. And Josiah. Okay, so we've gone a long time since Rehoboam, since Solomon, haven't we? So Josiah... 2 Kings 22, again, you may have trouble keeping up with me. You probably do better with Jake. All right, so verse 1, Josiah was <clears throat> eight years old when he became king. Wow. Anybody got an eight-year-old? Andre, how old is your son? Nine. You want to put him in charge of the country? What do you guys think? No? No? They say no. They know him better than we do, but the rest of us would be skeptical at best. Be like, he's how old? Eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years. 
This one's even harder for me to read in Solomon because it, it brings me so much joy what he did. But anyway, he, ran, he did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of... You're going to have to bring that chart back up, Jake, but, so don't lose it, but not yet, okay? He did right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father David. He didn't turn aside to the right or to the left. In verse 3, in the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan... We'll skip all those names. And he said, go to Hilkiah the high priest, that he can count the money brought to the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers have gathered. And what he wanted to do was make some repairs on the temple. And so, so Shaphan did what he was told. He went to the temple, and they started doing repairs. And the mean, in the, in the process of, this is going to dumbfound you guys. I'm just telling you, okay? Just stay with me. In the process of fixing the temple, they found the book of the Lord. And uh, Hilkiah the priest said to Shaphan, I found the book of the law, and Shaphan read it in the presence of the king. Verse 11, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes, which in those days was a sign of absolute horror and grief. And realized, he realized what they had done and how they had not followed, how, how they had not followed uh, the, the Lord, and in uh, verse 14, he says, Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all of Judah, the words of this book that have been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written there. So they went and inquired of the Lord to Huldah the prophetess, meaning she was a woman, for, for those people who have issues with women ministers, I have no idea what your problem is. But anyway, did I say that out loud? Y'all, don't, don't throw stones at me just because you don't agree with me. It's okay. But anyway, he went to Huldah the prophetess, and she said, Because your heart, to the king, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself, the desolation and the punishment that is going to come upon Judah is not going to happen in your lifetime. You'll be at peace, and you will go to your grave in peace, and you don't have to worry about it. But if we looked at that chart, you don't, don't bring the chart up yet again, but I do need it again. So, so God recognizes a tender heart and a guy who wanted to serve him, all right? Now, reading what Josiah did, though, is what I, I want you to hear. Because, because it is so horrific what had happened there. I mean, these are people that built this beautiful temple to serve God, that followed God, that all swore, oh, we're going to follow God. And then, wow, everything went south. So in the next chapter, in 2 Kings 23, um, it says that the king sent, in verse 1, it says he gathered all the people, and, uh, and they read the book of the law to all the people. That would take some time. Do you understand that, right? Have you ever read? Yeah, it would take some time. And, and then it says in verse 3, The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and keep his commandments and testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul and to carry out the book, the words of the covenant written in the book and all the people entered into the covenant. And in verse 4, it starts talking about what Josiah did. I would love to read this entire thing to you. I'm not sure I will, but we're going to start with verse 4. 
And the king commanded the Hilkiah, the high priest, and the priest, etc., etc., to bring out of the temple of the Lord. Are you looking at this? Do you see that up there? To bring out of the temple of the Lord the vessels made for Baal, Ashereth, and all the hosts of heaven, and he burned them in the temple. I'm blown away by this. Okay, I don't know if you are. Verse 5, he did away with all the idolatrous priests that, whom the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense in the high places in the cities of Judah and the surrounding area of Jerusalem. Also, who, those who burned the incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, to the host of heaven. He brought out the Asherah pole from the house of the Lord. Ah! Y'all with me here? outside of Jerusalem to the brook of Kidron, and he burned it. This one, I don't even know what to do with this. Verse 7, he also broke down the houses of all the male cult prostitutes that were in the house of the Lord and the women who were weaving hangings for the Asherah. I mean, how do you go from serving God to that level? Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you... Does this shock anybody besides me? I know I've read this so many times, but every time I read it, it shocks me. I have to be honest. Uh, verse 10, he defiled Topheth in the valley of the son of Hinnom, that no man would be able to make his son or daughter pass through the fire for Moloch. <coughs> they would sacrifice babies to Moloch. Okay, this one, verse 11. He did away with the horses, which the king of Judah, they were sculptures, the horses which the kings of Judah had given to the sun at the entrance to the house of the Lord. The king of Israel had built for Ashtoreth the abomination of the Sidonians and for Chemish and for Mitcom, the abomination of Amnon, the king defiled. He broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the ashram and filled their places with human bones. So, so now I want you to look at this. Go, now, Jake, put the chart back up. All those temples that Solomon built were still there. Now, how many, as 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 kings later, they are all still there. Eight of those kings were good kings before Josiah. None of them tore down the temples to the idols. None of them tore them down the, the uh, did they leave the temple uh, with an Asherah pole in it? Did they leave all the idols in there? Did they just leave everything the way it was? No, it says Josiah got rid of all this stuff. Eight good kings later. I mean, 17 total. Eight good kings later. He All the other good kings. I mean, Hezekiah, great guy. I mean, loved the Lord. Ignored it all, apparently. Just let it be. Didn't tear it down. Don't understand that. We started with uh, talking about the waves that God said, thus far, no farther. You know, we as human beings are the ones who determine the, the boundaries of our lives. Thus far and no farther. Uh, apparently, the seven good kings before Josiah said, thus far and no farther. Well, I'll do this much for God. But I'm not going to go that far and tear that stuff down. I'm not going to go burn those idols. I'm not going to tear down the high places. I'm not criticizing, you know, but, but I don't understand. Does that make sense? But I do understand on this level, I understand that I will put up with stuff in my life that I shouldn't put up with because, well, why? Why do we put up with stuff in our lives? Why, you know, it's not convenient to deal with it. Oh, that's really no big deal. You know, my sin's really not a problem. Your sin, oh, can't believe you're doing that. But my sin's really not so bad. And uh, I can put up with that. I can tolerate. 
a little bit of temper here and there. I can put up with this and that a little bit. Okay, y'all tracking with me? Y'all ready to throw stones? Are we good? Everybody, you're okay. You know, Josiah served the Lord with all of his heart, and then he, he now this one blows my mind too. Are you still in chapter 22 maybe? All right, verse 21. Now see, this, this, I don't get this. Okay, verse 21. Then the king commanded all the people saying, celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in the book of the covenant. Verse 22, surely such a Passover has, had not been celebrated from the days of the judges who judged Israel. David didn't even do it. That shocked me. That shocks me. You know, we, we, hmm. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not criticizing, wasn't there, but, but turn over in your Bibles now. We'll, we'll actually dig in here a little bit. How are we doing on time? We're doing, we're doing good, I think. All right, verse, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's very forward here. <laughs> he's, he's very, very in their faces, okay? And, 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 you know, but, but why is Paul in their faces? Paul doesn't want them floundering around. You know, here we have the, the church in Corinth. Here they are living in idol, you know, central. And there's temples to every idol that you can imagine, all the Greek and the Roman gods, rather. And, I mean, there, it's idol central. There's everything you could, you know, whatever, you know, you, you think high V has a lot of variety, you know, of green beans. Yeah, no, go to Corinth and you're going to see variety of idols, okay? They got everything you can imagine and more. And, and, and wickedness beyond what you could probably even think through. Pastor addresses that sometimes, doesn't he? But, but uh, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 Paul, prior to this, he'd been saying, you know, that he, uh, he, uh, he, he'd, he'd been defending himself seemingly, you know, and, and, and then he says this in verse 19, it says, all this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, in the sight of God, we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I am afraid that perhaps when I come, I may not find you to be, wait, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to be not what you wish. In other words, I'm going to come and you're not going to be happy to see me and I'm not going to be happy to see you because you haven't straightened out some of the things that you knew God wanted you to straighten out in your life. Okay, got that? All right, so keep going there. He said, for I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you to be not what I wish and may be found by you to, not, to be not what you wish, that perhaps there will be strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. All right? What's that all about? You know, those are the things that we just sometimes... Maybe I should speak for me. Sometimes I just kind of tolerate, you know, a little temper, a little frustration, you know, a little anger. You know, I can just put up with that. You know, that's not some big sin. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, Paul's, Paul's not going to leave any stone unturned. He keeps going, though. 
I am afraid that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may mourn over those who have, not, who have sinned in the past and have not repented of their impurity, immorality, and sensuality, which they have practiced. You know, Paul's talking to the church here, right? You're aware of that, right? He's talking to the church. And he's saying, guys, wake up, wake up, wake up. Time is short. Time is short. You know, we're living at the end of the age, the end of times here. You know, they weren't. They didn't know they weren't. But they weren't living at the end of times. But, you know, life's short. You know, I have a feeling if I asked somebody in the room who's past 70 how long it felt when they were 25, you know, they'd be like, well, that was like yesterday to me. Well, yeah, because time goes like this. All right? I mean, I'm 63, and it, I, I, I can, you know, when I look back, I laugh because I don't, I don't feel any different than I felt. You know what I mean? I feel just exactly the same as I did, you know, when I was, you know, 20-something. But, but life goes like this, and we can just ignore things. We can just not deal with things. We can just kind of push that, sweep that under the rug, so to speak, and not, and not handle things. But, but you know what? We, we need to follow the example of Paul. Turn over to Philippians chapter 3. You know, Paul was probably had the best education that existed at his time. He wrote half the New Testament. And uh, he had, before becoming a Christian, he had great respect, authority, and position. But when he met Jesus... He figured out what was really important in life, and he followed God with all of his heart. You know, we talk about our all-in class, our all-in event that we have this Wednesday, which is not a church membership class, but we do talk about what it means to be at Faith Family Church and how we don't have a membership roster, you know, but what it means, and really what it means is to follow God with all of your heart uh, and, and let him lead you. But in Philippians chapter 3, starting with verse 3, Nope, starting with verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you the same thing is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, those people who said, no, you got to follow the law. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, although I myself have confidence, I have reasons to have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, a golden throne with lions and ivory. Yeah, he didn't need that. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Moreover than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, 
being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. You know, all Paul cared about was knowing Jesus. Does that mean he didn't have a life? He didn't have to work? He didn't? No, no, no. He worked. He made tents, the Bible says. He had all sorts of things he had to do, but he had to follow God, whatever that meant. You know, and, and, and what did, you know, back way back when he got saved and, uh, and uh, he was, you know, he, he was, he, uh, he went blind on the road from traveling on the way to Damascus and, and the light came from heaven and, and then he couldn't see it all. And then the God, God sent Ananias to him and he told Ananias, he said, go tell him how much suffer, you know, how much he's going to suffer for my name. Well, that, that's not exactly, you know, a big perk if you're looking for a job. Yeah, if you come here, you're going to really suffer. But, but, but the point isn't that, is it? The point is, is that Paul, he just told Paul that, 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 yeah, he might suffer, but that he was going to be right there with him. He was just going to be right there with him no matter what happened. And, yeah, life has challenges, does it not? Yes, yes. Okay, I don't know about you. My life has a few challenges in it. But, but none of them are so big that God can't handle them. And none of them are so big that they're not small in the eyes of God. You know, Paul said, you know, these light and momentary challenges that I face, yeah, they were pretty big, some of them. You know, beaten and shipwrecked and all these things that Paul went through. But they're light and momentary in his mind. Why? Because of the surpassing greatness of knowing and following God with all of his heart. You know, God knows you need a job. God knows you've got a life. God knows you've got a house and kids and all the things that we have to do to take care of. But, but keeping him first is a heart thing. It isn't a physical thing. You know, God didn't become first in Solomon's life because Solomon built him a beautiful temple. Now, Solomon fell away from God even though he built him a beautiful temple. No, 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 no. It's all about what Paul said. I don't care about all this other stuff. I mean, I'm going to do it. I'm going to work. I'm going to do what I got to do. I'm going to travel. I got to get clothes. I got to do life, right? Everybody's got to do life. But Paul kept his heart right where it needed to be, always number one with God, always open to God. Because when you keep the door open, then you've got constant communication with him. But if you shut the door, God, no, thus far, no farther, uh, that's, that's all you get, God. I'll, I'm going to come to church on Sunday mornings when it's convenient, and, uh, and I'll read my Bible if I'm not too tired. All right, thus far, no farther. You're the one setting the bar, not him. You understand? He will come as far as you let him. He will eat with you every meal, or he'll eat with you once a week. But guess who opens the door? It's not him. He said, I'm knocking. But we got to open the door, amen? You know, God is so excited about us reaching out to him. He's not mad. He's not frustrated. You know, uh, Christmas morning, uh, Jake and Alicia and Micah showed up at our, our door. It was not a surprise. We were expecting them. And uh, when... Uh, when they walked in, I got my best Christmas gift because Micah went <gasps> to Grandpa. But, but understand that, and, and you, you know, I heard the, oh, uh, you know. <laughs> no, no, understand this. When you put your arms out to God, he's just that excited. He is so loving and so good and so 
open to you. So don't close your heart to him. He's never going to ask you to do anything that you weren't made to do. He's, never gonna, he's not going to be unreasonable. He's not going to, you know, I mean, when I was growing up, well, I can't, I can't give my life to God because he'd probably make me be a missionary in Africa. Well, okay. It's, such, it's just such a ridiculous way to look at him because all he wants for you is for you to fulfill the purpose that he created and it's a huge purpose. Whether you see it now, you're like, yeah, well, I just am a mom, and I, I, I just am home with my kids and at work, and, you know, how is that a huge purpose? Do, do, you, know, do, do you know the life? What a life, you know? What, what a great joy and thrill and a great responsibility to, to take on, you know? A little life. I mean, and, and a job, you know? I, my wife had a job one time, and, and she was convinced God brought her there to minister to one lady. Okay. Do you think one person, not a big enough deal for you? You know what I mean? I mean, I'm, oh, it's a big enough deal for me. But, but you know, sometimes, you know, you know, you hear people, well, I just want to, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, I want to, like, minister to thousands. Well, okay, great. That's great. You know, try ministering to the one and see where God takes you, all right? You know, but, but you know, follow him. Open your heart to him. Open the door. Spend time with him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, finish with a quote. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'll read it one more time. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You know, Paul understood that. He's like, I counted all loss compared to knowing Jesus. You know, he's like, I'll give up everything. I'll give up anything. I don't care about any of it anyway, just to know Jesus. Amen?